I, I know for me in my life, I have wanted new and to be new. And in fact, I, I, I actually floundered for years. I seem to have been in my life facing the same things over and over again. That, and I think I should be past that. I should have grown past that already. And I began to become miserable with myself and with life because I wanted new. I, I, but I felt stuck with the old. You see, I was raised in church. Um, and I grew up with a whole lot of information from teachers and pastors and Bible, Bible folks. And I had, so I had their information in my mind. And I mixed that with things that I thought and things I had heard from other people. And so I ended up in my mind with this raveled up concept of who God was and is and how He interacts with the world. All of these thoughts... Uh, about how he would do things, how he did some things, didn't do other things, and it was all just a big tangled mess. I kind of created God in my mind as I thought he should be, or as I wanted him to be, a God that I could like, and maybe even a God that could like me, a God who would do things the way I wanted them to be done, a God with whom I would like to associate. And so... I had my own ideas of how God would work. Here's the problem, though. That God didn't change me, couldn't change me, because that God didn't exist anywhere except for in my mind. That, that was no God at all. So last week, Harley kind of took, um, took us back to the beginning. He took us back to a very important new foundation that we, we had to lay before we could go into the remainder of this series. And that first um, step was who God is, as described by God and not our ideas of who God is. Very important stuff. And so, um, you know, when someone, you talked about, in fact, when someone begins a conversation concerning God and they use a phrase something like this, well, you know, I think God is, and then they, they fill in the blank. I thank God is, and they fill in the blank. That really doesn't work um, for, for a number of reasons, but really, I just don't have room inside of my head for their opinion and their idea of who God is. As Harley talked about, I was in the same boat. I've got this tangled up, jumbled up mess of, you know, basically 36 years of, of, of experiences most of which in church that have kind of, well, they've messed me up. They've messed my head up a little bit, and I'm tangled up, I'm raveled up. And so as a result of that, I really don't have a lot of room for what other people think about God and who they think that God is. In fact, it's taken me years to unravel all of the self-guided ideas from other people. Instead, and this is where kind of Harley parked last week, I want to know what God says about himself. And as it turns out, he's got some unskippable steps, some things that we just cannot bypass. We can't skip over, we can't walk around if we want to associate with this one true God that we're talking about. So as we move forward into this week, into week two of this series, I would encourage you, if you missed last week like I did, go back and listen to it on SoundCloud. Take, take a little bit of time. It's not uh, a big commitment. Uh, I went back and listened this past week because it's an unskippable 
step. It's a step that you can't skip as we're moving forward in this series. So as we kind of get started this morning, I want to welcome you to Regarding New, Five Unraveling Weeks, Five Unskippable Steps to One New Life. You know, many of us at some point have walked away from uh, the faith. Um, We did the best we could, and God did not, for some reason, maybe show up the way that we wanted Him to show up, or maybe not the way we needed Him to show up. And so we thought that we did what was required in order for God to show up. Maybe we started attending more, attending church more, praying more, reading our Bible more, and maybe still God did not show up for us the way that we wanted God to show up or needed God to show up. We tried to act in faith, and when it did not work, then that's when we had a tendency to walk away you from know, faith. You know, maybe, maybe, um, you know, and if this is you, you don't raise your hand or anything, but you can think about it in your heart. Maybe uh, we made a deal with God and we said, you know, God, if you'll, you'll do this for me, if you'll, you'll kind of honor this one really big request that I have in my life, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And he didn't. So we didn't. And as a result, we lost our faith. Uh, maybe some of us, and again, I can probably raise my hand on this one, maybe some of us did what a pastor or what a Bible teacher or possibly a friend told us to do uh, when concerning maybe a family member that got cancer. You know, and, and what we did, what we were told to do, we did it. We claimed by faith. We believed by faith. We spoke by faith that God would heal the cancer, remove the disease, and He didn't do it. God didn't act. And as a result, we don't do those things anymore, and, and, and we walked away. We walked away from faith. Um, or maybe, possibly, at one point, um, we walked away from faith because someone hurt us. Uh, maybe someone abused us. Maybe it was someone that we loved, and we just could not make that compute with our idea of who God is and what God says, and we just can't understand how God would allow something like that to happen, so we closed the door. We closed the door on God. We closed the door on religion. We walked away. So if that's you... Good news, you're, you're not alone. In fact, probably most people that are sitting in this room, most of the people that were sitting in here at 930, they probably have experienced at some point losing faith or lost faith, maybe even right now, maybe in a process of losing their faith. But what's so important when it pertains to faith is that if faith is as important as the New Testament writers tell us it is, if it's that important, then it has to be an unskippable step, which is why we're going to take an entire morning to talk about it. We can't skip it. In fact, Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, he tells us how important faith really is. He says, for you are saved by grace through Yeah, Paul is saying this is unskippable. Faith is required. But my question is, if I've lost it, if I've walked away from it, how do I get it back? So before we can figure out maybe what faith is, we're going to take a moment to look at some things that faith is not. Because at times we have all been taught some wrong things about faith. So let's take a look at a few of them in just a moment. 
the next part of this new foundation that we are trying to lay so that we can get to this point of new is a clear understanding about this thing called faith. Now, Andy Stanley has helped me learn some of this, and this can benefit us all. So here, here are a couple things. What faith is not. The first thing is this. Faith is not a warm, deep feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It's not even an emotion at all. Faith is not an emotion, a feeling. Here's the next thing. Faith is not a spiritual force. This force that if you use it correctly, and then you can get some things done because you have this force. It's not a power that can make things happen. It's not a power that can get God to do something that he was not planning on doing. Um, you say, but Harley, I was told, you know, when my sister was sick and we were supposed to gather around her in a circle and we were supposed to hold hands and we were supposed to believe. I was told if we believe and then if we really believed and we really prayed and we asked, that God would take it away. That's what I was told. And we did that, but God didn't. Because we were told, many of us, we were told that if we had the right amount of this thing that we're talking about this morning, this thing called faith, if we had the right amount of faith, we would see things happen. We would see whatever it was that we were praying for and believing. We would see it happen. And, and, and so, as a result, we believed, and we believed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and maybe we even had dozens of people around us praying and believing for the same exact thing. We're doing what we were told based on our understanding of faith, and it didn't work out. It didn't go right. It didn't follow the chain of events that we had been told that would happen. It didn't work, and as a result, maybe we even began to wonder, is God even there at all? Does He even exist? We began to seriously not only question our faith, but question just simply the existence of God. But contrary to what we've been told, and what I've been told, so I'm, I'm in the same, same boat. Contrary to what we've been told, faith is not a force, and it's not a power that we can develop, and that we can work hard enough to develop. In fact, that's, that's not even faith. That's actually a definition, Harley, of witchcraft. Yeah, that's more like it. So here's a third thing that faith is not. Faith is also not a secret formula that you have to figure out. Um, it does not have a, a set of secret steps, and you have to read special things and know special things and do things in a certain order, in a certain way, and specific amounts in order for it to work. It's not a secret series of steps to figure out, and when you do, then God will kind of unlock this world of faith for you. But, you know, many of us have been taught that. Many of us have been taught that it's this special spiritual force our power, and we've been taught that there's this secret formula to make it work, and we get frustrated, and then we walk away from faith. But none of those things are actually Christian faith. Right, it's a distorted view of faith. So God uses the writer of the book of Hebrews to actually tell us some very, very important things about faith. And we're going to jump 
neck deep into the book of Hebrews here in just a moment. But God uses the writer of Hebrews to say, first of all, faith can't be skipped. Just like last week, understanding who God is, we can't skip that. We can't skip faith. It can't be skipped. And further than that, faith actually, believe it or not, can be relatively easy to understand. It's really a simple concept. And then another thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us about faith is that it's not the reason that we follow Jesus. Not the reason that we follow Jesus. You see, in the first... A few chapters of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us to really to unhitch our faith wagon from what we've previously thought about faith. He tells us to to unhitch the wagon from what we've been told and what we've been taught and what we've read maybe from people. He actually says, I want you to unhitch your wagon from, from that and I want you to instead hitch your wagon strictly and solely to Jesus. That's it. Um... The writer of Hebrews tells us to unhitch our wagon from a person, tells us to unhitch our wagon from a leader, it tells us to unhitch our wagon from a pastor, a priest. It actually even tells us to unhitch our wagon from Stuttgart Harvest Church, a a church in general. And instead, the writer of Hebrews says, you need to hitch your wagon, your faith wagon needs to be hitched up to Jesus alone. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on, and he gives us, this definition of the unskippable step of Christian faith. This is what he says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Now, that word hope, it's kind of a word we're going to break down a little bit, kind of break that down as we go forward. But that word hope, if we read it, we have a tendency to read it as, I hope so. I hope so. And hope so is really just another way of saying I want it so with no promise of it being so. We read that scripture and we, we kind of latch on to that word hope. And we think of it from the perspective of I hope so. Faith is I hope this is going to happen. Well, we hope that a lot of things will happen. If you're 16, 15, 16 years old in here right now, or if you're listening on SoundCloud and, and you're about that age, you probably are hoping you're going to get a car, right? I hope that I'm going to get a car. Um, if, if you're in a, a situation right now uh, and, and you're kind of hoping that you're going to get a home, you're going to have a home that, that's yours, you're, I hope to get a home. Or maybe you're in a situation right now where um, you're kind of in between relationships or something and you're thinking, man, I really hope that someday I'm going to have the opportunity to be married. I hope to get a car. I hope things are going to work out. None. You're not sure at all. In fact, for some of us, they may never happen. I've seen some people walking around on this earth, and I'm looking at them thinking, I don't know if there's anybody out there for you. Right? Y'all know what I'm saying. I just don't know. Maybe? Yeah, I've heard the saying, you know, there's somebody out there for everybody. There's some people. I'm like, I don't know. We hope that it's going to happen, but it may not. Might, might not, never know. Harley worked out for you. There's hope. There's hope. But we don't know. It's not knowing that it's going to happen. Faith happens, real faith, this true biblical definition, this Hebrews definition of faith, actually happens when hope so becomes no so. When hope so becomes no so. Faith happens when you get the confidence that it's going to happen, and it now becomes a no-so. 
So you're sitting there like, okay, yeah, okay, that's great, awesome, no so. So what makes us confident so that a hope so can become a no so? What is it that makes us confident? What is to happen to, uh, what, what has to happen in, um, in us or around us to actually give us confidence that what we hope's going to happen will actually happen? It's a great question. I think really that's the question we're going to kind of park on here for a, a few moments. Because the writer will go on here in Hebrews, and he's going he's to use another word that we're going to kind of hammer on for a minute. He says, it gives us, speaking of faith, it gives us assurance that about things we cannot see. So we have this word confidence, and we have this word assurance. And again, what gives us confidence? What gives us assurance? How do we get from, oh, I hope that's going to happen, to... I, I know, I know that's going to happen. Now, this word confidence and assurance, it has a deeper meaning than just being certain in our mind. And so I want you to listen to a translation of this word. We're just going to kind of amp this up. We're going to turn up the amplification of one word, this Greek word, which is translated uh, in this first verse of chapter 11 as confidence. And we're going to give you what's called a word picture. In other words, this word is going to elicit not just a meaning, but a picture, okay? And so this is very significant to help us understand faith. Here's this word picture, Hebrews 11, verse 1, and we're going to turn up the amplification here of this. It says, now faith is the assurance, there's that word, assurance, uh, confidence, and here they turn up the amplification, this word, assurance, also the confirmation, so it's confirmed. And then here's the word picture, the title deed. There's the picture. When you are holding that title for something, you know it is yours. You can claim that as yours, right? When you have that deed in your hands, you know it is yours. You are confident. You are assured. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, you're holding the title, the deed of things we hope for. A hope so is becoming a no so because you have the deed, the title. We hope to get married? Yeah, yeah, no promise. We hope to get a raise? No promise of it at work. You just hope you have, you're going to get one. You want one. It's a want so. You hope to get a home? You hope to get a house? So how can we turn that hope so into a no so? For me, personally, when Vanessa said, yes, I will marry you, Harley. Whew. Yeah, it became a no so <laughs> at that moment. No longer did I say, oh, I hope we can get married. I said, I know so. We are getting married. It became a no so. When the boss tells you he's going to give you a raise at that moment. Do you have the raise yet? No, nope, probably not. You probably haven't seen it on a paycheck yet. But he has promised you, he told you, I'm going to give you a raise. At that moment, it becomes a no-so. When you get that guarantee, when you're holding that contract, when you have that promise, when, you're, when you have the down payment, it all becomes a no so. So when the promise is made, it's no longer a hope so. 
When the promise has been made, it's now a no-so. I know it's going to happen. I know I'm getting married. I know I'm going to get that raise. I, I know that these things are going to happen because I've either been promised it or maybe even I'm holding the deed to the car. It's mine. It's a no-so. Once they confirm it, you're confident it's going to happen. They've assured you, and you know it's going to work out. For a, for a hope-so to become a no-so, there has to be a promise. In, in, that's important. That, that is so important because there's so many promises in, in, in the Bible. For a hope-so to become a no-so, there has to be a promise. See, we've made this faith thing, we've made it kind of difficult. We, we, we've distorted it a lot, especially in, in the United States. We have distorted faith. We've made it very, very difficult. But the writer of Hebrews actually says it is, it's pretty simple. Faith is a pretty simple thing. God has given us, you, me, he's given us a promise. He's given us a title. He's given us a deed. He's given us a guarantee. And because he's given us that promise and that title and that deed and that guarantee, because of that, the writer of Hebrews says, you can confidently hope so? No, you can confidently know so. That's faith. So a, a huge point. A huge point this morning, one of many. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he'll do. Another great point. We, we don't follow Jesus because of faith. We don't follow Jesus because of faith. Faith, instead, is actually how we follow Jesus. We follow him confidently. We follow him with assurance. Because we have the promise. We have the deed. We have the title. We have the promise from God. So what is assurance? That's a great question. What, what is assurance? Assurance, simply put, is evidence. It's evidence. It's experiences that we've seen. It's experiences that we've read about. It's experiences that we've understood. Assurance is evidence. Um, we don't believe that God kept His promises because of faith. We've got that very backwards. I, I don't believe that God keeps His promises because I have faith that God's going to keep His promises. I believe that God's going to keep His promises, promises because there's evidence that He does keep His promises. Every one of them. We have evidence throughout not only Scripture, but throughout experiences that we personally have experienced that if it's a promise that God has made... He's going to follow through. We have evidence of God keeping His promises. Faith is confidence that God is who He says He is, and He will do exactly what He says He's going to do. The writer of Hebrews goes on in the very next verse, and he begins to talk about now some ancestors. Paul speaking of his ancestors, the Hebrew ancestors. He says this in verse 2, For our ancestors won God's approval, and it's because of their faith. By their faith, our ancestors won God's approval. That's what he's saying. Now, the picture that this creates in our mind, as Paul is using these words, here's the, the visual picture that, uh, that goes along with the specific words he chose. Because of the faith the ancestors had, not their works, not the things they did, but because of their faith, 
their confidence in God. God was cheering them on with approval. That's what those words mean. And that is faith. Believing that God had given them a guarantee. God had changed a hope so into a no so. And that led them, the ancestors, to then go out and do some very difficult things with God's help. They believed that God gave them a guarantee, a promise, and because of that, they went out and then did some very challenging things with God's help. Things that other people might have looked at, and they maybe didn't understand even why they would go do that. But they did. And next, the writer goes on and he lists some of these ancestors that he's talking about. He lists them very specifically and he gives examples of they had faith and then that led them to go out and do this. And so in essence he's saying by faith they lived a certain way, each of these ancestors, because they believed a promise that God had made. They believed Specifically, that God was who he said that he, he was, and he would do what he said that he would do. And they had God's guarantee, and that led them to go out, and they lived certain ways because of that. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he, there's, a, there's a huge list in, in chapter 11. There's just a huge list of, of examples of people that live by faith, men and women that live by faith. But the writer of Hebrews kind of parks a little bit longer on one in particular, uh, he spends a little bit more time uh, on one example than he does on any other, and that is of the example of Abraham. He, he stays there for a pretty good while because God made some very, very specific promises to Abraham. And one of the reasons I think, this is just kind of me talking a little bit, but one of the reasons I think that maybe Abraham was used is because there's no wavering in this example. God made a very specific promise, and he fulfilled a very specific promise. There is definite evidence that God's promises were fulfilled. And so we're going to jump back just for a moment into the book of Genesis, chapter 12. We're going to read the first three verses. And this is kind of the beginning of the story of Abraham. This is what, uh, this is what Genesis 12, verse 1 starts out. The Lord had said to Abram, so his name actually has not been changed to Abraham yet. He's, he's going by Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So Abraham is living in, we know that Abraham was living in a place called Ur, U-R, it's spelled U-R, Ur of the Chaldees. And there's some different opinions on where exactly that was, but kind of the prevailing idea, the prevailing thought is that Ur, this town that Abraham, or Abram at the time, was living in when God calls him to leave. It was probably a city on the coast of the Euphrates River, or on the, the banks of the Euphrates River. I mean, if you, if you kind of have a geographical mind at all, and you think about a map of Iraq, in the southeastern portion of that country, what is today Iraq, that's probably where Ur of the Chaldees was, right on the banks of the Euphrates River. And God says, I want you to leave. I want you to leave everything behind, and I want you to go somewhere that I'm going to show you when you get there. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, how you're going. I just want you to go. And I'm going to kind of explain things along the way. And Abraham, Abram, believed that 
He believed God's promise. Okay, I'm going to do it. He acted on it. He actually acts on his faith. That's faith. And then in verse 2, God goes on. He says, I will make you into a great nation. So that's a promise. I'll make you into a great nation. Now, the question is, did, did God do that? Absolutely. No question about it. Anybody ever heard of the nation of Israel? Anybody ever heard of everybody else that lives over there too? The, the, the Arabian people? That's all directly descendants of Abraham. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He didn't just make one, he made two. He followed through. He kept his promise. And then we go on, and verse 2, it says, And I will bless you and make you famous. I love that word, famous. If you want to, show your hands. Anybody ever heard of Abraham? Yeah, we have, haven't we? Abraham lived over 4,000 years ago. And we've all heard of him. We all know his story. We've all sang the song, right? Father Abraham. You know, if you, if you grew up in church like I did, you, you sang the song. We all know who Abraham is. Did God make Abram famous? He certainly did, without question. He was pretty famous. And then he goes on, he says, and you will be a blessing to others. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. You see, most nations, they, they fight and they bicker and they, they, they war. <laughs> and God's saying here, through you, Abram, through your line, through your descendants, through the people that come after you, I'm going to bless every nation in the world that really ever is going to exist. I'm going to bless the world because it's actually through, the, through this nation, through this bloodline of Abraham, through his descendants, that God is going to send the Messiah. He's going to send Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. And the writer, uh, he'll go on, and he's going to give us a ton of examples. Example after example after example of people who believe God's promises, believe that God kept his promise, or will keep his promise. That's faith. Faith is actually relatively simple. It's believing that God is who He says He is, and He's going to do what He says He's going to do, not based on faith, instead based on evidence of God following through on His promises, believing that evidence is faith, and God keeps His promises. So all of these ancestors that He is mentioning in this chapter, they believed, all of them believed that God would send the Messiah, and it would come through the bloodline of Abraham. And we know that's Jesus. That was God coming to this earth as a man. And so um, the writer of Hebrews in verse 13 says this, all of these people died, talking about these ancestors, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. In other words, they died before the Messiah came. But they died with faith, knowing, it wasn't a hope so, it was a no so, that God would keep His promise in the coming days. None of these ancestors that are in this list used faith the way we see it used in America, like this secret code. Uh, you do certain things in a certain way, and then you can manipulate God into doing what you want. None of them used faith like that. None of them 
misused faith like it was uh, this superpower, like witchcraft. And if you have enough of this power, enough of this faith power, you can force God to um, do what you want Him to do. Now, none of them use faith like we were taught. Faith for them was all about trusting that God is who He says He is and He will do what He said that He would do. So let me give you a New Testament, a New Covenant example of this same kind of Old Covenant faith. Here's a New Covenant example. I wish we had time to really break this story down, but we don't. So I'm just, here's, here's just the quick version. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. And here's what he said. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. He did not say, oh, I hope, I hope you can. No, he had a no-so. He knew that Jesus could do it. Now, why? Why would he be confident to know that Jesus could do it? Why wasn't it a hope so? Why was it a no so? Because he had confidence. Why did he have confidence? Because he had evidence. He had even seen Jesus heal someone else or, or, he had heard the story. He heard them say, Jesus healed me. He had the evidence, real stories from real people. And that gave him confidence. That gave him assurance that Jesus could do this. And here's what happened. Jesus, in verse 13, reached out and touched him. And he said, I am willing he said be healed and instantly the leprosy disappeared now this is important this is important it's not a faith that said i know you will it's a faith that said i know you can that's a big difference in america it's more the first example it's i know you will if i pray hard enough and believe enough and so on and so forth do, check the boxes do all those things i know you will but the faith of the bible is actually i know you can i just don't know if you will because i don't know if it's part of your plan i don't know if this is part of all of the pieces that you've been putting together since the dawn of time i don't know i, I hope it is this is what i want but even if it's not what happens, I know you can do it. I just don't know if you will. Um, that's faith. Most of us, again, myself included, most of us, we weren't taught God's definition of faith, which is, I know you can. Because I've seen you do it. I have evidence. I have promises. I know you can. We've not been taught that definition, God's definition of faith. We've actually been taught our definition of faith. Because our definition of faith does something really, really interesting. Our definition of faith gives us a way, we think anyway, it gives us a way to force God to do what we want. It really places me in the driver's seat. If I pray hard enough, I believe enough, I can kind of 
manipulate God. It puts me in the driver's seat. But God's definition of faith leaves him very clearly in the driver's seat. It leaves him very clearly in control, not me. His definition of faith puts him in charge. My definition of faith can put me in charge. The problem with faith that puts me in charge, me in control, is that when God doesn't answer my prayer, because not that he can't, he can, but it doesn't fit in the plan. When God doesn't answer my prayer, I'm left with a broken faith. When God doesn't heal that person, it doesn't fix that situation, doesn't take that illness or take that whatever it would be, doesn't take it away or make sure that I get what I've been so desperately asking for, when He doesn't do that for whatever reason, not that He can't, but He doesn't, then my faith just doesn't make any sense anymore because I thought, I've been told, I've read, I've been told my entire life that I would just pray hard enough and I believe enough that it's going to happen and it doesn't happen. And so my faith was built on a very shaky foundation and it crumbles. We want God to do what we ask. And that's not Christianity. In fact, that's a type of paganism. Me trying to get God to do what I want Him to do. Entire generations, entire generations are walking away from the American church today because pastors, teachers, uh, family members have forged God's name onto promises that God never made. You cannot find them in Scripture. They're not there. And there are people in the United States of America, we, we like to use this statement, we are a Christian nation. And, and, and we were founded as a Christian nation, but in 2020, we're really more of a postmodern nation. Because generation, an entire generation of people, of Americans, are walking away from faith. They're walking away from God. And a big reason why is because the faith that they've been taught and that they understand, it is distorted. It's my faith, not God's definition of faith. And it's no wonder that we've lost our faith. It's no wonder we're walking away. It's no wonder that everything is falling apart around us. The foundation was broken before I ever entered the scene. The foundation was broken before it ever started. Because we had the wrong foundation. Our foundation was built on my version and not God's version. It's almost like we have a Santa Claus God. You know, It's, it's a God that um, we made up in our minds and, and, he, and He doesn't exist. Of course it's going to fall apart. If you're good enough, this is what is often kind of perceived today, if you're good enough and you do everything right, and you, you operate a specific way, then the Santa Claus God is going to do good things for you, and you're going to get what you want. But that's not a Christian faith. God never promised any of that stuff. Yeah. We're going to bring this plane in for a landing. Cole's going to make it back to the drums. The band's going to make their way up. We have to be very, very careful. Cole said, we have signed, we have forged God's name onto promises that he didn't make us. We have to be very cautious. Some of those things we just completely made up. But we have to be very cautious about what promises in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that we claim for ourselves. Because here's the truth. That was not written for me. The Old Covenant is done. There's some things that point forward to the end but those promises, when you look through the Psalms, you say, oh yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to claim that one for me. Guess what? Most of the Old Covenant 
and, and the prophets, they were not written as promises to you. They were written as promises to the Israelite people. That is not us. We have to be so careful about what we claim that God is going to do for us. If we do this straight, His love for you and me by promising that our bills would be paid. God did not demonstrate His love for you and His love for me by promising that we would not lose our jobs. God did not demonstrate His love for us by promising that our car would not break down or by promising that we would not get sick or by promising that we would be healed if we get sick. He didn't promise that. He did not promise that we would not suffer. You say, okay then, well, Harley, what, what did He promise? Well, let me give you a big one here. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 5, this is a huge promise. But God showed His great love for us. He demonstrated His love for us. Here's how He did demonstrate it. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right with God, in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. And verse 11. So now, now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new, <laughs> this is new, our wonderful new relationship with God because... Our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see, the ancestors, they were looking forward toward the Messiah, that God was going to send the Messiah. And they had the evidence that God would keep His promises. And so they could look forward and they knew God was going to send this Messiah. Now here we are in 2020, and now we're looking backwards, and we have the evidence of those promises kept, because God did send the Messiah. You know, it's not our faith that leads us to Jesus. The evidence that God keeps His promises leads us to Jesus. And those promises that He kept, it gives us confidence to turn on, oh, I hope I could be adopted. Oh, I hope one day I can make it to heaven. I can be with God forever. And I hope, I just hope that He can change me into something new. It is us believing, having confidence in God who keeps His promises that changes that to I know so. I know that God will adopt me. I know. Because He's promised. He said, you hold the title, you hold the deed. I know that He will make me new. Faith says, God, God said, don't take this faith and attach it to something else. Faith 
can only be attached to Jesus. And that is required. That is an unskippable step for me to get to new. But we have to make sure we're talking about the same faith. We've got to talk about the faith that God's talking about. That's what's required to get to new. Not a faith in a church. Not a faith in a program. Not a faith in an institution or in a leader. Not a faith in my performance and my making God happy. No, 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 no. Faith says, I believe that God is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. I have confidence because God has promised it. And I have evidence that God keeps His promises. And that's when a hope so becomes a no so. And that's why faith is an unskippable step if we want to get to new in our lives. This is the time for us to say, I'm going to unhitch my faith from doing good things in order to get God to do something for me. I'm going to unhitch it from that. I'm going to unhitch my faith from a person or a pastor or a Bible teacher. I'm going to unhitch my faith from thinking that faith is a power source for me to use to get God to do things. I'm going to unhitch my faith from me thinking that there's a secret code. I have to do things in a certain way in order for God to unlock this thing called faith. And I am instead going to hitch my faith to God, to Jesus alone. Based upon, not my faith, based upon the evidence. The evidence that God keeps His promises. The evidence that God is who He says He is and He always will do what He said that He will do. And that faith is the next unskippable step. Which, by the way, will get us to the next unskippable step. And we'll talk about that next week. But here's what we want you to do this week. Will you read one of the four Gospels this week? Read the whole thing. Either the four Gospels are these first-hand accounts of Jesus, His march toward the cross, His death, and then His resurrection. And those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Will you pick one of those and read it all the way through? And as you read it, will you look at God keeping his promises and he does that through jesus will you look at that and then will you based upon the evidence the evidence of what jesus did will you do this will you say to god god you are who you say you are and you will do what you said you will do and now, these next two songs we're going to sing. Will you let these be your closing prayer?